This is Chief Conti of the Metropolitan Police Department, and I'm asking for your help. We all must avoid using our cell phones while driving as lives are increasingly at risk with this behavior. So much can happen when you are distracted by a phone, and the results could be deadly. Help us make Vision Zero a reality by keeping your eyes on the street. MPD is enforcing the district's hands-free distracted driving laws. One text or call can wreck it all. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, Cleveland, and welcome to an, the Dog Land Podcast. I am your host, Jackson McCurry. Joining me on the show tonight, and it's been a while since he's been on, uh, he is the man known as Brown's Daily Mock Draft on Twitter. He works over at the OBR where he covers the draft and does fantastic work there as the rest of the crew does over at the OBR. And he's a longtime friend of the show, had him on several times, and we're very happy to have him on again tonight. It's Mr. Stephen Thomas. Stephen, how you doing, brother? It's been a while. Good to, good to be back, Jack Mack. Uh, how you feeling there, my friend? I'm doing well, man. Uh, slowly transitioning back to whatever normalcy is. Um, you know, things are still <laughs> not completely open here in Ohio. Right. Uh, but, you know, we're getting we're getting close to the draft. The draft's in Cleveland. They announced it this week. It's a full go. Obviously, limited capacity. But this is like one of those big events where it's like normalcy is slowly getting back. And having the draft in Cleveland is awesome. The fact that they're going to have fans there, the fact that Commissioner Goodell's going to be in town. Prospects are going to be in town. It's just a sign that we are finally getting back to normalcy, like I said. And it's a good thing because this last year, I mean, it's crazy that it's a year because, I mean, didn't they say it was only going to be like two weeks? Yeah, I don't think anybody believed that. No, (laughs) not really. But it's like, I mean, the the craziness that it went a year. I mean, I I, was in the back of my mind that I thought it was going to go on a long time. The year seems like it's been five years though i mean i know with you it's nice to have some kind of uh you know like everybody keeps saying whatever normal is going to be to be honest i had i sort of wished that it would be i don't know some somehow the situation would be that uh, they would um push cleveland back two years like they did with vegas right so, so that the city would have an opportunity to to fully show you know, do a fully open thing and show what an amazing city it is. And, you know, because Cleveland's been the butt of jokes for like, as long as I've been alive, it's been the butt of a lot of jokes. And it's just such a great town. It's filled with so many great people. And I would have loved to have seen them, you know, two years from now or something, have the opportunity to really, really shine. Uh, But in the limited capacity, um, I'm sure they're going to, you know, kick some serious ass. And I know the city's put a lot of time and effort and money into it. And, um, like you said, as far as a just sort of a symbolic event of, you know, hey, we're, we're getting back to normal. Having Cleveland be at the spearhead, the forefront of that is uh, it's a pretty special opportunity. And I'm really looking forward to uh, how they handle it. And, uh, you know, although, you know, there's a part of me that really enjoyed watching Goodell announce picks in his jammies last year. But, uh, <laughs> you know, that's just the, the, the part of me that just loves weirdness enjoyed that just a little bit, but it, you know, obviously getting back to normal and safe and everything is far, far better than that. Without a doubt. My only hope is the weather cooperates. We know right. how Cleveland can be in April. I mean, it's going to be right along the lake. I just hope that it's not snowing and we're not in a blizzard <laughs> because I can only imagine all the jokes that would come out of more, more shots at Cleveland because the weather wouldn't cooperate, but um enough about that i mean let's get to current news uh you know steven what a wild week last week last week was with free agency and the browns and i mean what did you think of the offseason moves you know the additions of john johnson and troy hill uh tack mckinley uh anthony walker i mean the, the browns added to the defense which already had some talent and seemingly they have shown that hey we 
focused on the offense last year. This year we focused on the defense, and I think they did a great job. Andrew Barry, Andrew Barry has been killing it so far uh, in his 14 months as GM of the Browns. Absolutely. I, I, I don't know. You know, I get people, they've asked me that a lot. I've been on, you know, it's draft season, so people – want me on uh, their shows and their pods and stuff. And it's great. But I always, you know, what do you think of the moves they've made so far? Well, I, I don't know how you couldn't love it. I mean, <laughs> how do you, how do you not love, you know, not only getting arguably the top available uh, free agents at safety and slot corner, but getting them at, at prices that are just r- ridiculous. Andrew Barry is a Jedi somehow. I, I mean, it's crazy how the contracts that they put together and John Johnson was my top target for, you know, the last couple of months. So naturally the Cleveland inside me just assumed he'd never come here in a million years. Cause you know, the guy that we always want never comes here, but now Cleveland is a destination for free agents, which is just amazing. I mean, since, since this group came through the door last January, it's very difficult to find moves that, even if they didn't work out, you didn't get it. You, you, it wasn't a good move, a good gamble, a good, you know, everything. I mean, all the one-year deals they signed last year, uh, we, we all said they were playing for longer contracts, their tryout deals and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, most of them uh, it didn't work out, you know, in, in terms of a long-term big contract, but they did their jobs last year. Uh, Joseph might still come back. Uh, Andrew Billings contract told. So basically they got two years out of him. Um, I, I don't know. And with the exciting news, uh, you know, I don't know what time you're going to air this, but within the last hour before we started recording, it was leaked that they had uh, Judevian Clowney in for a visit. And this is pretty much what we all expected. I think there's, there's still going to be active. There's going to be an edge and there's going to be at least one more corner. Uh, there may be other things here and there, but I, I never go to the grocery store hungry. And you never go into the draft with a desperate need unless you have to, because that can tilt your decisions and make you reach a little bit and force things. So if they can say, whether it's clowny or not, I expect them to bring in another veteran edge to fill out the rotation and somebody who can at least moderately give them a, you know, a starting option across Denzel Ward in case Greedy Williams doesn't come all the way back because, you know, he's only 50 or 60 percent back. So uh, this is pretty much what I expected that they're still going to be making moves the the rumored trades for, you know, top name corners are still getting whispers from places that, you know, I mean, nobody's right all the time, but, but I'm, I'm hearing them from places that would know if that sort of thing was in the works. So yeah, they're doing an amazing job. They're doing it at value. Uh, their future cap is still in, in good shape. And uh, I, I'm, I don't know how you can not be excited for the fall at this point, even before the draft and uh, what they do in the draft is going to make it even more fun. Absolutely. I mean, you look, they came into free agency with was around 24, 25 million in cap space. They went out and signed like five or six players. And according to over the cap, they're still at about 14 million. So the wizardry of what Andrew Barry and company have done in terms of these contracts has been something else as well. And even, you know, they have all this cap space and Jake Burns said it the other night, he goes, the Browns are still up to something. Yeah, they are. Mm -hmm. They brought in Clowney. Obviously he's not going to command 17 and a half million dollars like he did last summer when the Browns were pursuing him. I think they can get him at a relatively cheaper cost, but even if not, Carlos Dunlap's still available. Alden Smith's still available. Melvin Ingram's still available. You can get a quality pass rusher. And like you said about the outside corner, Steven Nelson just became available. Casey Hayward's still out there. Malcolm Butler's still out there. Like there's still quality free agents that the Browns can go get to add to this roster. And then, like you said, they go into the draft without having a serious need and can just take the best players on the board at that point. Exactly. You know, I mean, there's real outside of Steven Nelson, who I know we both pounded the table for a um, couple years last, ago, last year or two years ago, whenever it was that he was on the market. Right. Uh, I, I don't think there's anybody or, you know, if they trade for a Gilmore or something like that, there's nobody left at the corner market. That's, you know, uh, Revis Island too, but they're capable quality starters. You know, they're going to go in, they're going to do their job. They're, you know, maybe not stars, but they're, they're solid. And I think they have to look at that. I've seen, I've had, uh, I think people are counting too much on greedy at this point. We're all rooting for him. Absolutely. Obviously we're rooting for, and if he comes back, that's fantastic. But 
nerve issues are serious, serious things. And, you know, the last week or two weeks ago, whenever it was, he tweeted out that greedy's back or however he phrased it. The next tweet was him saying, you know, 60% or 50% or something like that. And in an article, he said he was about 60%. So people saying, oh, good, greedy's back. We can just pencil him in as a starter. You can't do that. I mean, he has to be looked at as a bonus at this point. If he, let's say they go out and they sign, you know, uh, Gary and Conley, and then they draft somebody, maybe two guys in the top hundred, and one of them ends up panning out, you're already pretty well set. On top of that, if Greedy Williams comes back healthy and becomes everything we all thought he could be when they drafted him in the second round, now you're at an embarrassment of riches. It's fantastic. But it's such a serious thing that he's trying to come back for you just from a team perspective you can't like count on it there's there's got to be a better way to say that but you you have to give yourself a safety net you have to give a backup plan there at corner because it's just not something that that you can bank everything on at this point especially at this point in their build you're talking about we're not talking about a team from you know four years ago that we were hoping to win five games if we got lucky this is a team that genuinely and legitimately believes they have a chance to be standing there holding that trophy when the confetti drops in February. And I I don't know how you look at their roster and don't think they're at least in the conversation, at least in the conversation. So to do something like that, to leave a giant hole at a critical position uh, like corner, um, it just doesn't seem like something Andrew Barry and company would do. And I'd be very surprised if at least one starter level you know, capable starter level corner isn't brought in before uh, the draft happens in April. Yeah, without a doubt. I'm with you, like, when it comes to Greedy. And I even feel the same way about Grant Delpit. Like, absolutely. I mean, he's kicking ass in rehab based on all the videos we've seen. Right. But at no point right now should we be depending on him to be a starting safety. And, you know, we did add John Johnson. We have Ronnie Harrison. So that's going to ease the pressure off of Delpit. But Mm -hmm. I know – and you know, Woods wants to run these three safety sets. I still think another safety is in play, maybe not in free agency, but even in the draft, which we'll get to. Yes. But I mean, Delp is a talented player. I love that we got him in the second round last year, but you know, the Achilles injury was a tough blow and it obviously altered the plans for the defense. But, you know, going into 2021, Greedy and Delbit can't be depended on. And I think Barry knows that. I think Stefanski knows that. And I even think Joe Woods knows that. Which, which is why, like you said, I think they are going to make more moves, whether it's in free agency or the draft, to make sure that they have depth. Because, like you said, teams are teams, and the media all can see that the Browns are in Super Bowl contention, which is so crazy to think some at times <laughs> after everything we've been through the last couple of decades. But yeah, I truly think Barry is going to stay aggressive in adding talent to this roster, and there's no way he's satisfied yet. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, everything I said about Greedy is exactly the same as Grant Delpit. I mean, an Achilles is a, it's a serious, serious thing. And even here's the other thing. I mean, obviously he has a better chance of coming back from it than a broken down middle-aged fart like me does. But I mean, you know, he's 22 years old and a world-class athlete. So if anybody can come back and, you know, eventually be like nothing happened it's somebody like grant delpit and boy as a fan would i love for that to happen but even guys who come back all the way from uh, achilles and and acls and you know other serious type injuries years later you will hear them say they'll never say it in the moment but years later you hear them say things like i really wasn't myself until the second year back because the first year back yeah technically you're medically cleared but you got to rebuild the strength in that and the muscles around it. You got to get more comfortable mentally. I mean, Grant's injury was a non He jumped up and, and landed wrong. I mean, the first time he jumps up in a contested catch situation and comes down to land, it's going to be in the back of his mind. It would be, it would be bizarre if it wasn't in the back of his mind and he's got to get, he's got to, you know, they say sometimes, you know, you got to get hit on where you were injured a couple of times. Well, that's the equivalent of getting hit on your Achilles. He's got to jump in a few times and run a few times in a game situation, not a rehab situation. And then he'll stop thinking about it eventually and get back to his old self. So even if he is going to be himself, which we all hope he is, and if he is, man, what a devastating trio of safeties we now have. 
asking him to do it immediately this fall might be overshooting it a bit. I hope it that he comes out week one and is just Grant Delpit full full bore. That would be awesome. But if there's any question, and I and I would expect them uh, to operate this way, if there's any question, I would rather have him wait six eight weeks because Grant Delpit coming back from a team perspective and from him too, it has to be about the next ten years not the next 10 games. That's how you have to look at it because he's a long-term piece. Anybody you draft that high is a long-term piece. Without a doubt. I mean, and even, you know, Ronnie Harrison's entering a contract year. Uh, you've mm-hmm. got to, you got to, with Delby, you have to think long-term. Like you said, you can't just think about the 2021 season. You got to think about 22, 23, 24, and so on. Uh, you know, Steven, we're about a month out from the draft and, we're talking about, you know, filling these positions so that we don't have to draft for need. But as you sit here now and you've done tons of mock drafts, you've looked at these (laughs) prospects, (laughs) but um, as we sit here, the Browns are at pick 26, which is the lowest they've picked in nearly since 94, 93. I mean, it's been forever since they picked this low with their original pick. We're not even talking about the times that they've had multiple first round picks, but if you were Andrew Barry and you're looking at these prospects right now, is there a specific position you think they should target at 26 or is there players that, you know, you've been watching, you've seen up on the mock drafts that would appear to be at 26 that you would just pound the table for if they were there on the board right now? Um, no, not really because how I operate and, and how they operate, which is one of the reasons I like them so much is they, you know, and it sounds like a cliche, but it's absolutely true. They will trust their board, whatever it is. Now, for me, if you're going to look at positions, I still think, depending on who they sign corner leftovers or the DMV or house cleaning or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And Edge are the two biggest impact positions at, at the back end of day one that they should be uh, looking at. So if they have somebody graded high, uh, and, you know, pick your guy. It doesn't, you know, the specific name doesn't matter. Let's say it's uh, Gregory Rousseau or, you know, Quiddy Pay. I've seen him slipping for some, for unknown reasons. He's slipping on a lot of boards into the middle and early 20s. Um, if he's there, I, I might, I would probably pound the table for him. Um, but other than that, there are some nice players, uh, some good players at 26. Uh, uh, JOK, Koromoa still pretty damn high and he's a chess piece. So if he's around, I, I would probably stick for that, but trading down seems like it's creeping more and more into the conversation, especially with the success they're having in free agency. And one of the reasons for many reasons, but one of the reasons is this, we hear every year, you know, Oh, you know, teams only had 15 true first round grades or 18 true for, you know, first round grade 12, sometimes only, you know, 15 guys total in the entire draft that they felt worthy of a number one pick. Take that and put it in tandem with a front office that operates with a lot of data. They love data. And the fact that we're picking at 26 without very many needs, it, it seems on the unlikely side of the ledger that there would be somebody at 26 that they would pound the table for. They're probably not, you know, they're not going to have somebody ranked in, as day one who's still around at 26. And with a lot of teams looking at tackles and wide receivers and that sort of thing, there's a good chance there's going to be an offensive tackle sitting on the board at 26 that, you know, the Jets at 34 or the Dolphins at 36 or the Panthers at 39 or somebody in that range is just going to love, you know, even the Lions at 41 or the Broncos at 40, they, they might, you know, good chance somebody will be on the phone. And so if you don't have, if you're sitting there at 26 and there's, you don't have anybody rated day one left on your board. And so the value between the guys you could pick now and the guys you could pick in the mid thirties or late thirties is not that different. And someone's calling and offering you 
you know, an extra third round pick this year or a, a second round pick next year, something good, the added value just probably will end up making too much sense. Uh, the sweet spot for corners in this class seems to be about pick 35 to 40 to around pick 90. Uh, there's a bunch of guys in that range, and it's all just a matter of personal preference. What flavor do you like the best? Uh, so trying to put them in any order is kind of futile at this point. But a lot of corner options, great corner options inside and outside, great safety options. Uh, a lot of edge options as well in that same range. So if they could move down, you know, like let's say it's the Dolphins and they call with 36 and uh, they've got one in the early 80s, 82 or 83 or something like that. And that's that's the deal. Personally, I would want something for, for next year uh, thrown in the deal. But if they see that and they really, really like a lot of guys in the top 100 this year, I could easily see them doing that. Uh, now, if they stick and pick, my guess is still it's going to be corner or edge because within those guardrails that we saw uh, that have been circulating around, those are the impact positions. I just don't see another uh, impact position unless, again, unless they have somebody rated, you know, fifth on their board that's still sitting there or something like that, something an outlier like that. I, I really, I'm starting to think that trading down might be the most likely play. And then you're going to get the groan from Browns fans. Why are they trading oh, down again? <laughs> it's like every year trade down. We always keep it in the back of our mind. And literally anytime I do a mock draft on one of the tons of simulators we got, I always look at the trade down offers. And if it's a great offer, I'll move down because if I see a player I'm going to like, and I know I can get them later, going to take the extra picks. And obviously I think the Browns play that card as well. Um, let's talk about the cornerbacks, Steven. Um, Obviously, you can probably go ahead and say Patrick Sertan is not even going to be close to 26. Mm -hmm. um, I would have said at the beginning of the process, probably back in January, Caleb Farley would have been gone. Now the injury reports are coming out. He's had two back surgeries and a knee, and I think it was a knee injury was ACL. the other ACL. I wouldn't touch him with a 10 foot pole. He reminds me of the the guy. Olafanu, the kid from Oregon that we drafted in like the seventh round. Oh yeah, IFO. Yeah, yeah, IFO. Like that. I feel like Farley's gonna drop in the media's eyes. He's probably already dropped down a lot in the team's eyes, and the media is just catching up. Um, and then J.C. Horn, the way he tested, and I seen his relative athletic score was a perfect ten, which I don't know. I don't <laughs> think I've ever seen that in the in the history of the guy uh, math bomb making those charts. Uh, so I would kind of rule him off the board. So when you look at the cornerbacks that could be there at 26 or via a trade down, um, you know, guys like Greg Newsom from Northwestern, mm -hmm. uh, Eric Stokes from Georgia. I mean, and there could be other names because I'm not as familiar with the draft prospects as you are. Who are the guys that you like? And you said it's all based on preference of flavor. Um, but out of those names, Newsom, Stokes, et cetera, who are you liking out of the cornerbacks in this draft? Well, uh, there's a ton of top 100 uh, guys, uh, like I said, that are all intriguing in their own ways. And they all have their own drawbacks. Of course, there's no perfect prospects out there. Um, and to be perfectly honest, unless there are two top level moves left in free agency at the corner position, I'm expecting at least one, very likely two in my mind, corners to be drafted with those top 100 picks. And I agree with you on the 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 ones that, you know, probably won't be there. I never realistically thought JC Horn was going to fall that far because I'm just, I've been such a huge fan for so long, but you know, until today, it sort of felt like it had a 5% chance of happening. Other than that, um, uh, Fatu Malafanwu from uh, Syracuse is one of my absolute draft crushes. I love him. Six, two and a half, two Oh five low four fours athletic is all get out sticky can play inside and help with, uh, uh, tight ends, which are huge in the AFC. He's big and tall and fast enough to stay with the Chase Claypools and the other big, tall outside guys in our division, which was a huge problem for us this year. Um, I, I love him. Uh, I would take him at 26 if, if they wanted to. You could talk me into that, but especially after a trade down. Uh, Greg Newsom, like you mentioned at Northwestern, is a guy that I really, really like. Um, his issue, or I don't know if issue is the right word. I try to put myself in the mind and thought process of this front office and look at these guys through the lens of what we think we know about how they work. 
Newsom's got less, he's got 17 games in his, in his college career. That's not a lot of film. That's not a lot of data for a front office that really, really likes the, the data. Now, you know, there are people, that, oh, they're analytics. They only look at numbers. No, that it, it's just part of their process. But the more data you have, the better it can go. Plus, he's he's been dinged up. You know, part of the reason he only played 17 games is because he's been nothing serious, but he's been nicked up on a pretty regular basis. I don't know if that translates to this front office spending an incredibly valuable piece, uh, a coin of first round draft capital. It's a huge, it's a huge coin to spend when you're in your window. I don't know that they will do that. Uh, Stokes, I like. I don't know that I like him where he's probably going to go. I, 59 would be the highest I would go for us on Stokes. They may like him a lot better, uh, but it seems like he's going to be gone before that. When, once you get beyond 50, though, there's a bunch of guys. Uh, Kelvin Joseph um, at Kentucky, who was one time at LSU, is incredibly athletic and has all kinds of uh, um, skills. Very sticky, but again, 15 games and uh, I've heard some things that, you know, he's, he might not be the best. I, I, I don't want to talk out of turn because I haven't, I, I've, I've never seen this myself, but there are other things with Kelvin Joseph that apparently uh, teams are looking into. Trill Williams, another uh, guy from Syracuse, that Syracuse defensive backfield was just freaking loaded. Um, Trill Williams is a freak, 6'2", about 200 pounds, four threes, uh, can play safety, can play outside, can play inside. Paulson Adebo is a name that I, I have, I would encourage people to go see if you can find his 2018 film and watch because here's what he did. He came out as a freshman at Stanford in 2018 and had just a, a balls to the wall year. It was just fantastic. And everybody was just hyping him up. In 2019, he was nicked up and dinged up a little bit and his play fell off. It was still good, but it wasn't as elite as 2018. And then he opted out this past year. So a lot of projection but he just tested really, really well uh, at Stanford's uh, um, pro day uh, two days ago, three days ago, whenever it was. Uh, he's like 6'1", uh, just shy of 200, very fast, great ball skills, great eyes and instincts. He's a guy that, you know, you get into that 89-91 back-to-back picks um, or almost back-to-back picks. Yeah, I, I could be very tempted uh, for a guy like Paulson Adebo. And there's a bunch of other names too. Uh, there's some great... There's a, the corner class is actually pretty deep. There's, there's not beyond the, you know, the big three, there's nobody that's blowing everybody off, but there's a lot of guys who have a ton of promise who could definitely be corner ones or solid slots or, uh, you know, Asante Samuel Jr. You're talking about guys that are projected in the slot, although I think he can play outside. Uh, Elijah Molden is one of my favorites in the entire draft. He's a, you know, combination uh, slot corner free safety guy from Washington. If you haven't watched him, go watch him. So much fun instincts of, uh, for days just just closes in a, in a heartbeat. That's a guy that I would love to get uh, if they could. Uh, he can come in and learn behind Troy Hill for a year or two because, you know, Troy Hill's 30 now and then be ready to take over uh, whenever Hill uh, moves on to different pastures. But there's there's a bunch. I, I would be very, very surprised if they don't come out with a couple, at least two overall. I, I'm expecting two in the top 100 at the corner position. And that makes a lot of sense looking at the, uh, you know, some of the draft rankings, looking at, you know, how, and like you talked about how deep the cornerback class is. There's a ton of top 100 prospects. I, I think even especially if they trade down that Barry would be smart to take two corners early. Mm-hmm. I mean, just because we need it and because it's so talented, depth isn't a bad thing to have, especially on a rookie deal. Um you know, since we're talking about the secondary, you know, we did add John Johnson and in, in mm-hmm. free agency. We have Ronnie Harrison. We have Grant Delbert, like we've talked about. Stephen, do you think safety is completely out of the question with one of our first couple picks? Because, you know, and the little I've watched out of draft prospects, Trevon Morig, the safety out of TCU, mm-hmm. absolutely loved. And that was my guy prior to free agency as the guy that I would pound the table for at 26 if he's there because I thought, you know, he is such a gifted prospect, and I thought he would have been a perfect fit in this Browns defense uh, in that safety position spot just because we needed it so bad, and he is so talented. What, what was your thoughts on 
Morig and also the safety class? Um, and do you think it's out of the question early in the draft? Uh, I don't think it's completely out of the question. It would take a pretty specific set of circumstances. Uh, and Merrig is probably among those circumstances. Like you're going to have to be, uh, you know, sitting at 26 with no corners that you like at value, no edge guys you like at value, you know, no, I don't know if they would take an interior guy, but if Barmore is there, they might snag him. But let's say he's gone, um, you know, and nobody's calling and blowing your, your doors off with, uh, with trade values, but Merrick is still sitting there. I, I take him in a heartbeat at 26. Um, partly for all the reasons we mentioned a few minutes ago, we, we still don't know what we have in, uh, in Grant Delpit and um, Ronnie Harrison's, like you said, in a contract year. So if he, you know, gets a giant offer for somewhere else, or they, for whatever reason, decide after this year, they don't want him you know, to, to pay him to, uh, to stay here, uh, a guy like Morrig in the pipeline to learn and step in, you can still run those three safety looks right there. Um, and, and there's some other guys further down too. I would not be surprised at all if uh, Hamza Nasiruddin at Florida State is on their radar, uh, more of a hybrid type that, uh, you know, it's called different things into a rover or, you know, generally I just say the other linebacker spot, which they're trying to get a safety in there instead of a linebacker. Uh, Joshua Bledsoe from Missouri is a guy that uh, I'm a lot higher on than a lot of the media boards. Um, I know uh, uh, Hawaii Mike is uh, the leader of the Talanoa Hafenga fan club, and I like Hafenga quite a bit. I love Andre Cisco. He's coming back from an, uh, an ACL, another member of that Syracuse secondary. Um, Tariq Thompson, then you get into the day three guys. Tariq Thompson is highly underrated, I think, from San Diego State. Uh, could end up surprising people by getting picked uh, quite a bit higher than he is on a lot of the media boards. Um, and then the guy from uh, from Indiana, Jamar Johnson, uh, Dane turned me on to him a couple of months ago when he was nowhere to be found. I mean, if he was on you know these media boards, he was in the 400s. He was a throw in and there wasn't even a write up about him now. People are talking about him maybe getting into the top 100. He uh, played at Indiana. Uh, had a pretty good day against the Buckeyes. If everybody remembers that game, that was a fun game. Um, and uh, had a great day against uh, Michigan State, if I recall correctly. But uh, a little bit inconsistent here and there. Um, but uh, all the skills are there. So he's another guy that I could see them taking a shot at. And if you want to go deep down uh, uh, day three, Reed Blankenship from Middle Tennessee State is still my guy. Somebody told me that he went back to school, but I've been unable to confirm that. Uh, one way or another, I, I, I still see him on all the, the media boards and I haven't seen anything about him going back to school. I could be wrong, but if he is in this draft, he's so rangy and so fast and so versatile. Um, I, he's about a perfect fit for that hybrid role, that rover role that everybody keeps talking about, at least in my eyes. So uh, the short answer to your question is no, I don't think safety is completely off the list. And there are guys at value all up and down the draft, all the way through to, to uh, you know, round seven that I think could fit the bill. Leftovers. Or. The DMV. Number 97. Or. House cleaning. Or. Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. Chumba. Chumbacasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, I will say about Blankenship because I heard you and Jeff Lloyd and Jake Burns on one of the uh, live streams talk about him. And somebody had mentioned that he went back to school. All I could find, because I wanted to chime in on the chat, just people saying, oh, he went back to school and it was through tweets. And I was like, well, that's nothing. You know, I, right. I do, you know, read into some people's tweets a little way too much, but just to say a random person say, oh, he went back to school. It's like, there's no concrete evidence to say that he definitely did, but yeah, yeah I mean, they have, yeah, I, I've been able to unable to find anything either way on it. Um, but as far as I can see, he's still on all the boards and, and in the simulators and stuff. So I'm, I, until I see something specific, that he's not around, uh, I'm going to, you know, keep my eyes on him because he's a lot of fun to watch. 
Yeah. I mean, like the corner class, the safety class seems really deep based on, I'm looking at the draft networks rankings, but a lot of top 100 prospects. So I, I would think, like you said, if they trust their board and there's a safety there and they like him, he's, he's the best player on their board. I think early on, they wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me if they did draft a safety, like you said, because like I said about the corner position, depth's not a bad thing to have, mm-hmm. especially with Delpit's injury issues, Harrison's injury issues. I mean, having an extra safety in that room would not hurt, especially one talented like these guys in the draft are. Especially when you look at the season we just went through. I mean, God bless them because they, they gave everything they had to give and they played their asses off. But we're in a situation where we're in the you know a playoff chase and we've got uh, you know, a special teams guy like Tavier Thomas and then, you know, a, a guy like Robert Jackson Definitely. starting, Yeah, you know, and again, that's nothing against those guys. They get, they played their asses off and I'm grateful for them. They gave everything they had to give, but there's a reason they're special teams guys normally. And other guys are starting in the coverage units ahead of them. I mean, it's, yeah, I'm not talking down about anybody, but you don't, you know, the depth was tested to, to the nth degree this year. And you really don't want to ha- be in that situation. If you can, if you can avoid it. Absolutely. Uh, you know, while we're talking defense still, let's talk about the edge guys, because mm-hmm. obviously edge is a need. Um, and t- until they sign somebody in free agency, which we expect them to, they did add tech McKinley. They have Porter Gustin. They have Curtis Weaver and they have this guy named miles Garrett, who's supposed to be a really great football player or something. But, um, <laughs> but looking at this edge clash, you mentioned, uh, is it cutie pie? Quidi pay. Yeah. Uh, you got Jalen Phillips, you got Gregory Russo. Those guys have all been rumored in the first round and, Ojalari from Georgia, who mm. I seen his pro day last week. And I mean, some of his numbers uh, jumped off the board for sure. But Stephen, we've, you know, we've seen edge rushers in these last few drafts be amazing. Like how does this class in your eyes compare to some of the other edge classes of the last couple of years? And, you know, what would be the most ideal situation potentially at 26 for one or who would be your ideal guy, as, as I should say, to be there on the board at 26 that you think would be a solid fit opposite Miles Garrett and joining Tag McKinley and the crew in the uh, in the edge in the edge room? Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting edge class. And just to quickly touch on the existing room, Curtis Weaver is such a wild card. Absolutely. You know, we have no clue out here. They in the building, I'm sure, have a much better idea of For what sure. he is and what they think he can be. But we're sitting out here. I, I said this the other day to Jeff, he could uh, be edge to come in, blow the doors off the place, be the long-term replacement across from miles and just be an absolute steal. He could be edge five at the beginning of the season and off the roster by October and anything in between. We have no idea what he is. So, I mean, obviously they think quite a bit of him because of the move they did last year and the fact that, you know, we haven't heard a lot about him. They're just quietly letting him work. And, and word is he has been working his ass off, which is great. Um, so, you know, but much like we've been saying with Grant Delpit and Greedy Williams and all these guys, for us looking at it from the outside, we sort of have to proceed as if he's not, you know, the guy. Um, in that scenario, uh, yeah, Quiddy Pay I think, would be the ideal uh, guy to fall unless they love Gregory Rousseau. And Rousseau is a very divisive prospect. Um, obviously, the physical gifts are there. I mean, the dude's huge. He's fast. He's strong. He's you know he's got good hand usage. He's but he played one season, you know, and a lot of his production came against what somebody would consider you know just terrible offensive lines. And not, he took advantage of them, which is what you like to see. If you see if you got a guy you like and he's way better than the guy across the the line from you want to see him blow that guy off the ball and he did it a lot but one season of production um you know very raw extremely raw uh and has only been playing edge for i think two years maybe three years is that a guy that this front office will spend first round draft capital on i don't know they might now if they bring in a guy like Clowney, um who you consider to be you know more than just this year. So you're, you're talking about bringing a guy like Rousseau in and letting him learn and, and ease in gradually and just putting him into situations as a rookie where he can use his athleticism. 
then I think that makes more sense. But I don't, I don't know if they will like him or not. Um, other than that, it's, a, it's kind of all flavors again. I love Ojolari. I would take him at 26, no problem. There are, you know, people who I respect in Brown's Twitter who don't, you know, don't think he's worth the pick. Really good film guys that, you know, whose opinions I respect. And, and the same with, I'm a huge fan of Joe Trion out of Washington. Uh, I don't know if he gets into day one because he opted out. It, it's impossible to know how this front office is going to look at the guys who haven't played in 18 months. But if he's around at 59 and they haven't taken an edge yet, let's say they go corner first and, and he's there at 59. I, I think he's a perfect fit. 6'5", 260, fast as hell, uh, great hand usage. He, uh, he rushes with a plan. He's got an array of moves, uh, still a little raw. And again, he sat out, so we got to see what he is. Uh, but I would love to get him. Peyton Turner um, at uh, Houston is anywhere from round two to round three on most of the boards I see. And if you could get him in, again, massive human being, tremendously athletic, a little raw here and there. But who better to learn behind than, than Miles Garrett? Um, I like Ronnie Perkins better than most people. Um, and then when, once you get into day three, there's some really interesting dudes. Victor DiMichiegi down at Duke is one of my favorite guys. He's, he's a little shorter. He's only 6'2", uh, which means some bigger tackles can simply just, you know, with their length, they just won't let him get around. But his, his long arm and his speed to power is really, really consistent, and he consistently produces. Janarius uh, uh, Robinson at Florida State is a physical specimen uh, who never really – busted out but the situation at florida state the last couple of years was a nightmare so i guess you'd have to wonder how much of that was the system uh, the uh, system that he was in the scenario that he was in uh cam sample at tulane is interesting he's got fans malcolm kuntzi uh out of buffalo uh i think is being underrated um and then there's some of the guys here's the thing the other thing you have to consider uh, and, and it seems to be rearing its head more in the edge class in this class than at other positions with this front office is the age guard rail. Everything we've heard out of that is that they're very serious about it. Now we only have one year of a sample size of their draft, but apparently they're very serious about it. The, the oldest prospect they took last year turned 23 in November of the season. So if you are already 23, I mean, they, they could shock us all. I personally haven't been take, paying a lot of attention to them because I just, I don't have the time to research every single guy. Basham, uh, um, Hamilcar Rashid, uh, Quincy Roche, Patrick Jones, Rashad Weaver, uh, Ellerson Smith from Northern Iowa. I love Ellerson Smith, but he's already 23. I, you know, those are guys that I don't know if we should be really counting on them because they're very, very serious about, the, about that guardrail. Um, Jason Owe has a lot of fans. Where's the production? I don't know that an analytic front office like this would spend first round draft capital on a guy that, that didn't put the quarterback on the ground once. Maybe they will. I don't know. But uh, it's something that I question. And Jalen Phillips, as great a year as he had, uh, and he did. Uh, he's already medically retired once from concussions. Now, obviously, doctors at Miami cleared him and he came back. And had a great year and i'm by all means i you're talking about a 22 year old kid i want him to be completely healthy and just tear up the nfl for 10 years anytime a young man has an opportunity a life-changing family-changing opportunity like this i want them to be healthy and to take advantage of it but looking at it from the team standpoint again i can't say for sure but it seems very iffy to me that this front office would spend huge coin on a guy who uh, one wrong, you know, ding to the noggin and he could be done. I, I don't know. I, you know, and obviously they'll research that on to levels that I can't possibly imagine, but these are just questions that those of us out here in the hinterlands trying to, you know, have fun looking at the draft and trying to figure out what they might do. These are questions you have to ask whether you like it or not. These are legitimate things that might take some of these guys off of the board for this particular front office. I'm actually glad you brought up the age guardrail because Jack Duffin had asked, what would you use as an age profile for draft picks? And what was the cutoff, which you pretty much answered. If you're run, if you're Barry, which Barry seems to do, seems to be, if they're above 23 in terms of age coming out in the draft, seems like they're untouchable. Would you agree or disagree? 
Yeah, again, it's only a one-year sample size, so making any you know final judgments based on one draft class is unwise. But if we look at last year and we know the model, the analytical model that they use from other you know draft classes from other teams. Obviously, November is okay because they took Jordan Elliott last year. So (laughs) we know if you turn 23 in November, that's okay. So in my head, just sort of as a a general guideline, I've been looking at it like if if a guy turns 23 in October, November or later, then he's probably okay. Anywhere from July to September, I don't know. That's that's iffy. There's a couple of guys, Marvin Wilson and some others, they turn 23 in August or early September. I don't know if that's okay. It seems like it's borderline. May and June, I'm thinking probably not, but I'm not writing it off completely. If you're already 23, again, I don't know. It's one year, but I would be shocked if they spent, at least early, maybe once you get late into day three, they loosen these guardrails a little bit. If they love a guy like Josh Emmert or Bebe or, or uh, Simi Fajiko who tested like a maniac at Stanford the other day, if they love somebody like that, who's a little bit older with a sixth round pick or a seventh round pick, maybe they loosen those guardrails a little, I don't know, but I would be very surprised if they spent top 100 draft capital on someone who is already or, you know, in May, we'll turn 23. That, that's just how I'm looking at it. Poor Brandon Whedon wouldn't have made the guardrail. What a shame. <laughs> he had been way over the guardrail in terms of that, in terms of age. Absolutely. Um, you know, Stephen, when I look at this draft, the biggest thing to me that I think the Browns need to find on the offensive side is speed at the wide receiver position. And that's been a big topic, I would say, on social media. You know, everybody loves Higgins. Everybody loves Landry. But you know, outside of Odell Beckham, there's not a lot of speed in that wide receiver room. And, you know, Donovan Peoples-Jones is a playmaker, but he, even he doesn't have the speed to a degree that Beckham has. So when I look at the draft, I'm looking at these wide receivers and I'm trying to find a speed threat, you know, whether it's a guy like Rondale Moore, you know, late in the first round, maybe early second round if they move back. Uh, and then, you know, down the board, you told me about Anthony Schwartz back in uh, January as a guy, and I've watched him and was amazed by the speed. When mm. you look at these wide receivers and looking at, you know, pure speed, like who are some of these guys that, you know, we could get with one of our first five picks that you think would be not only great in terms of speed, but also in terms of what they bring to the table as a wide receiver and how would they fit in that room? Yeah, don't uh, don't overlook the bringing back Kadero Hodge. Um, oh, yeah, of course. He's uh, he was starting to become a pretty consistent deep threat last year. Um, and plus, he blocks his ass off and they love him. So I think that's kind of an under the radar. Understandably, I mean, you know, that's not the headline when you look at the other guys they sign. Of course, it shouldn't be the headline. But just in the back of everybody's head, just don't don't forget about him. They brought him back for a reason. They really like him. But yeah, I think uh, I, I would throw the other thing uh, offensively uh, would be something on the interior offensive line, just because of the age of those uh, the three guys or two of the three guys in there. They're both very good point getting to 30 or over 30. And I think this either this year or next year is the last year of JC Treader's contract. I love JC Treader. Uh, and Batonio, I think, I think Batonio's yeah, contract goes up next year. It's coming up. So, yeah. you know, and we don't know if they're going to be able to keep teller at the price he's might command. So if they could grab a guy, you know, a David Moore from Grambling or uh, Quinn miners from uh, Wisconsin whitewater or something like that at a good, uh, a good value, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put that past them. Uh, but yeah, I, I think finding somebody at the wide receiver value. I mean, if 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 Bateman is around at twenty six, like for some reason, uh, he seems to be more often lately. Uh, um, I don't understand why, but if he's around at twenty six, that's one of the few guys I could personally see taking at twenty six at wide receiver. I just, I know there are other folks that are on the twenty wide receiver at twenty six train, and I get it. And, and I, you know, wouldn't hate it, but I'm not as high on that train as some other people. Uh, maybe after a trade down, uh, like you said, might make more sense. Terrace Marshall out of LSU. I love, love him. He's, I think he's being uh, highly underrated. Uh, of course, Elijah Moore, um, just an absolute monster. The only thing Elijah Moore can't do is be six feet tall. Everything else, <laughs> everything else you want a wide receiver to do, he does it. And he does it in a blur. That guy is, he's freaking amazing. If he's around a 59, which seems iffy to me, boy, 
you wouldn't have to try too hard uh, to talk me into that. Uh, Deami Brown in North Carolina. I've liked him for a while. Tylen Wallace, they seem like better matches in terms of value. You know, they seem to be more around, um, you know, towards that 89-91 on some of the simulators. Um, how close those are to real life this right. year. This year is so weird. We have no, I mean, I think we're going to see a lot of, you know, guys, just because of the lack of information that we have out here and how weird the past year has been, we're going to see a lot of guys drafted way earlier and way later by the league than they've been ranked all year. That's just the way it's going to be. I think I'd be shocked if there weren't some guys, you know, 75, a hundred notches off from where they're ranked. But uh, Anthony Schwartz, you mentioned, boy, would he be a perfect fit? Just, I know Jeff Lloyd has planted his flag there and boy, <laughs> you couldn't talk him off with a hundred dollar bill. Um, Amir Smith, Marset, finally getting the run that I think he deserves at Iowa. I've been, He's been around, you know, 175 on most of the boards that I've seen, and I just don't understand it. He's so dangerous, fast, tall, big, great kick returner, um, willing blocker. Uh, he, he does everything. He can go vertical. He can come across the middle. Good hands. I love Amir Smith-Marset from Iowa. Uh, and then there's some guys, you know, generally ranked on day three. Daz Newsome, uh, Deami Brown's partner down at North Carolina, was, is very fun. Jalen Darden at North Texas is a blur on tape. Um, and then even Imager Baby, we saw, I mentioned, uh, Marquez Stevenson from Houston has some fans, but he's 24. So again, the age thing uh, pops up. Trey Walker uh, from San Jose State is a late round guy that I really like, as is Jonathan Adams Jr. from Arkansas State. Boy, does he have some impressive catches. And from right down the road in Kent, at Kent State, do not overlook Isaiah McCoy. 6'3", uh, 200, 205, depending on who you believe, low four fours, uh, great hands, giant catch radius, uh, jukey as hell after the catch. He's a guy that I really, really like. Uh, right now, he's fringe, uh, you know, UDFA uh, seventh round guy. I personally think he, he should probably go maybe a round uh, higher than that, a little earlier in day three. But if they get to that last pick, especially, if they get beyond 200 and he's there, I wouldn't mind it. If they get to that last pick at 257 and Isaiah McCoy's still around, I don't care if they've already drafted somebody. I would love to get that guy into the building because guys at that size with that speed and those kind of hands don't come around very often. And if you can rub the, the rough edges off, uh, boy, talk about a diamond he could be. Yeah, uh, McCoy really pops off the tape. Uh, Kent State's offense was quite something last year during the shortened season, but uh, I think they were one of the top scoring offenses in college football, which is amazing. But uh, uh, I wanted to go back to Elijah Moore because the more I watch this guy, the more that I'm very impressed with them. And of course, mm. Ole Miss has pumped out some wide receivers the last couple of years, DK Metcalf, AJ Brown. The one thing that threw me off last week with uh, when you and Jake did the live mock draft over at the OBR and on YouTube and he said he would take Elijah Moore at 26. And I know mm -hmm. PFF has him ranked as a first-round talent. Would you be opposed? And I know you said you wouldn't take a wide receiver at 26, maybe in a trade back. Would you be opposed to Elijah Moore being a first-round pick? Um, you know, take away the size, obviously, but watching what you've seen out of him, could you see him being a first-round pick potentially? Absolutely. I, 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 if the question is, is he worthy of the pick in a vacuum? At, uh, yeah. I mean, abs I don't think there's any question about it. My, my hesitation for taking a wide receiver that high is not about any one of the prospects themselves. And I'm not saying these guys aren't worth first round picks. What I'm saying is from the Browns situation and looking at how deep this wide receiver class is, and it's in unbelievably deep. I don't know that if you have, again, unless it's, you know, let's say they have Rashad Bateman ranked fourth overall on their board. He's the fourth best player in the whole draft on their board, just as an example. And suddenly he's there at 26. I, you got to take him. I mean, I mean, you probably got to take Bateman at 26 regardless, I would think. And if the same is true of Elijah Moore or uh, Terrace Marshall or whoever it is, name your guy, uh, then yeah, sure, you got to. But I, when I sit down, I look at the team and I look at the guardrails and, you know, the impact positions and the depth of this wide receiver class and all the other things, and you take it all in tandem. If you have a wide receiver, let's say it's Elijah Moore, and he's ranked right next to on your board, um, 
an edge rusher or a, a, a cover corner, you know, an outside guy. Uh, and they're like, literally one, two. I, I personally lean towards the corners um, because you can get impactful, especially for a, a system like the one Stefanski runs that, I mean, obviously you want guys who can get open on their own, but he can scheme people open, you know? And so if you can get a corner at 26 and let's say you lose out on more cause he gets picked, but then at 59, you grab, you know, I, Tylen Wallace or, um, you know, I, I don't know, maybe Anthony Schwartz or Amir Smith-Marset uh, you know, at 89 or something like that. I think that adds more overall value. Um, it, or at least you can argue that it, that it does. Now, if we're sitting there on draft night, especially with the moves that we talked about earlier that we still think they're going to make, let's say they bring in Clowney. Let's say they sign Steven Nelson. Um, and, and now you're sitting there and Elijah Moore is the pick is the pick at 26. I, I mean, yeah, I, that's <laughs> who would be mad. I mean, the guy watches film. I mean, even if all you're watching is the, the broadcast, even if you don't have access to all 22, just watch the broadcast stuff. It's, it's so impressive. Um, same would go for Bateman. Um, so it, it's not that I want, I hope it's, I'm clarifying. It's not that I'm, you know, adamantly opposed to wide receiver at 26. I just personally think looking at the values of the boards, you know, the top 100 uh, players on various boards and pairing them with the needs of this team and then throwing in the way this front office, at least the way we think they look at positional values and stuff like that. I think it's not as high on the list as some other people uh, believe that's just I could be very wrong but that's the way I see it so far Stephen you know this will be my last question when you look at the pro days that these teams are doing because obviously there was no combine has anybody any specific prospect that you liked going into the pro day wowed you or disappointed you that made you have second thoughts um, looking at them as a prospect like any of their numbers really disappoint you and maybe soured you on liking them as a prospect or did they wow you and make you go back and watch and then change your opinion of the player heading into the pro day? Um, not drastically really. Um, uh, Simi Fajoko at Stanford was probably the biggest one of that. Uh, he's outside the age guard rail, but dude, six, four, two and you ran a four, three, seven and put up a 6.71, uh, three cone. I'm, I'm going to go look at that guy. <laughs> you know, I mean, those are just ridiculous numbers from a guy, his size, um, uh, but yeah, well, I mean, I guess the biggest one would probably be virtually everybody at the pit pro day, um, because those numbers were atrocious for some of the, for some of those prospects. And one of them, I really liked, uh, Jalen Twyman, the interior defensive lineman who, who was an opt out this year. I love his film. I, I love what he does. I, I love his, 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 his game plan. I love the way he uses his hands his numbers were awful. So I, I don't know. Here's the thing about it though. Like I said, everybody at Pitt ran and moved slow. It wasn't like everybody else was blazing 40 times and he came out awful or so that would be one thing. Everybody was wave. I mean, Paris Ford put out some numbers that just don't seem to match what, you know, what you say, what you see on, on film. So um, it made me, wonder what the heck is going on up there and if those numbers are real uh then Jalen Twyman is probably you know way down if not completely off my board but um other than that no not really but I I tend to not put pro days combine testing numbers you need them absolutely they're wonderful they're they're a piece of data that you absolutely have to have and it has to be part of your evaluation process but moving a guy up or down you know, significantly uh, because of uh, a pro day or something like that. It's just never been something that I do. It's, it, it's a piece of, it, if it doesn't match what you see on tape, like it did with Jalen Twyman and, and it does, you know, for a few guys every year, you go back and you watch again, you go, huh, that doesn't seem, what did I miss? You know, what, or, and then a lot of times you'll hear somebody that has a day like that, you know, oh, he, he pulled a hammy or, you know, he was fighting through a back or, you know, something like that. Uh, whether that's smoking excuses or not, we don't know. But no, I, I don't I don't move guys up or down any significant margin in my mind because of testing numbers and, and 
and pro days. It's rare. Let me put it that way. I was always so fascinated, like after the combine, like John Ross, I don't remember where he was heading into the combine, but he ran that fast 40. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden he shot up draft boards and I'm like, is this the media catching up or are teams really thinking this? Like I was always fascinated to see guys just like skyrocket just because of something they did at the combine. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. how that now I was like, I'm always thinking like, man, how is the media just catching up to the guys or is this the way the teams are really thinking? I was always curious and I feel like it was just more the media pushing guys up and building hype on them just because they did something so amazing at the combine. Yeah. It tends to be, you know, um, the media, like you said, the media catching up. Uh, are, are there times where guys do come out of nowhere? I'm sure there are. I, I mean, I've never been inside an NFL GM's office and, and heard the actual discussion, so I can't say for sure. But it seems more likely that they know more than we do earlier than we do, and this just kind of confirms things. Now, it, I have over the years, I would say the biggest thing for me is if somebody comes in and I think they're fringe, you know, a, a late day three, or maybe you try to get them as UDFA, and then they come in and just blow you away at the combine or their pro day. I can move them from UDFA to a little bit earlier. That has happened, sure. But I'm not going to take a guy who, you know, uh, if you're watching the tape and you think he's a fourth round guy, early day three, and then you you read, you know, Dane Brugler, and he says he's a fourth round guy, and Lance Zierlein says he's a fourth round guy, and all the respected guys who know way more about this than I do are all saying that. But then he goes in, he runs, you know, a super fast 40 and, and puts up a great pro day. I'm not going to sit there and go, okay, well, now he's in the first round. That, that just doesn't make any sense to me. Now, uh, um, does he move from fourth round to maybe day two? Sure, that, that can happen. But, you know, I, significant moves in either direction. It, it just, it, it doesn't, it, it's not something that I do. And I don't think there's a lot of you know, the, the far more, far smarter draft guys than me. I don't think they do it uh, very much either. Very great stuff, Stephen, as always. Uh, always enjoy having you on the podcast. Um, as we wrap things up, go ahead and plug everything you got going on over at the OBR as well as everything going on at the OBR. It's it's a great site. I've been a member of it for whew, going on almost a decade now. I remember signing up, I think it was before the 2011 or 2012 draft and just great content top from bottom from all you guys over there. So go ahead and plug everything you got going as well as the OBR. Oh, thanks. That's uh, that's very kind. Yeah, they were uh, crazy enough to bring me on board to do the daily mock draft experiment this year. And it's been a, it's been a blast. Uh, the best thing is follow me at, at Brown's mock draft. Everything gets tweeted through there. The stuff that I do, uh, on the OBR and other things at the OBR, you know, uh, they always, uh, I always retweet, try to try to retweet every single article that we write. Um, uh, you know, uh, if you can come over now, there's a special going on. Uh, if you, well, it's actually, it's not a special, it's just an added bonus. If you become a member, uh, you get Paramount plus included, uh, in your, um, in your membership. So not only do you get insider stuff like, you know, Lane and Brad, I mean, we know stuff, hours, sometimes days before it breaks. Uh, yes, we do. I mean, we knew Clowney was in Cleveland, you know, this morning. Um, uh, so that in, in and of itself is worth it. But it's it's so much more than that, too. I mean, uh, Jake does tremendous film breakdowns that sometimes are members only. Um, I, I, I can't even think of everything. There's so much stuff that sometimes it's members only and sometimes it's free for everybody. And it's only... I think you can get it for like six bucks a month on one of the coupons. Now I'm not sure, you know, don't hold me to that, but even if it's nine bucks a month, I mean, nine bucks a month for all the Browns info you could want and Paramount plus, I mean, that's a pretty good deal right there. But as far as I'm concerned, my stuff's always, almost always free, you know, cause I'm, you know, goofy and silly and, and, <laughs> and uh, uh, the, the mock drafts have been a blast. Uh, the page view numbers are fantastic, but yeah, if you want to find me, at Browns mock draft is where it all is. Uh, I would love for uh, more Browns fans to interact with me on there. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, go, go subscribe to their YouTube channel. You know, Jake Burns, uh, Jeff or Jeff Lloyd's been a part of it. Steven, you've been a part of it. You guys been doing draft studies, uh, live mock drafts. I mean, there's been some fantastic stuff coming out of the OBR has been for years and I would not expect anything to change anytime soon. So definitely go check out the OBR and check out Steven on Twitter because he's great at what he does when he talks about the draft and 
he, he tells some jokes every once in a while as well. So. <laughs> and, and Stephen, I promise I'll lay off the uh, old man comments. Um, I won't do it as harsh as I've been lately. It's all right. I, <laughs> I, I forget them five minutes after you say them. <laughs> the benefit of being old. Uh, but, man, brother, appreciate you coming on as always. Uh, you've been one of our most frequent guests over the last five years and uh, appreciate everything you've done for us over here at the Dogland Podcast, man. Anytime, man. Love, uh, love chopping it up with you guys. You guys are good, good dudes. Uh, and uh, I appreciate what you do. And I appreciate you letting me come on and pollute your airways. As uh, Absolutely, man. Well, we'd love to have you on again, maybe before the draft, definitely after the draft to break, break down what the Browns do. Uh, as we wrap things up, you guys can follow me personally on Twitter at Jack McCurry 8 You can follow the site at the Dogland on Twitter, as well as Facebook and check out the dogland.com. Uh, for our coverage of the Browns and everything we got going on over there. Uh, And until next time, go Browns. Leftovers or the DMV or house cleaning or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. We were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.